The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Well, welcome again, everybody. It's good to see you all here on a wintry Monday. It's wintry out there, isn't it? Yeah. We'll spend a couple of weeks together talking about the five aggregates of clinging. The five aggregates are a sophisticated nap, but hopefully I found it to be an accessible one too. So hopefully the, what we talk about will be challenging and uh, good to explore and you'll find it useful too. <clears throat> seems like we come to spiritual practice looking for something juicy, <laughs> often wanting something, you know, fancy or, I don't know, just something special. <laughs> but what we get is ordinary body and mind, especially in Buddhism, at least. So maybe a good definition of spiritual practice is something like a sincere exploration of ordinary body and mind. And through that exploration, finding something really beautiful that we can apply to our lives and make good use of. So I thought I'd start off with something maybe a little inspirational. <clears throat> There's a, a woman who, her name is Sarah Doring. She is a benefactor at Insight Meditation Society. And uh, there's lots of, lots of the teachers, Joseph Goldstein and um, others, talk a lot about Sarah and her immense generosity over the years. And I've heard a lot about Sarah since I've been in the teacher training over the last almost three years now, and she passed away about a year ago. And right around that time that she was, she was on hospice for a while, and I never met Sarah, so I should say that, but I feel like I know her <laughs> because she is so alive there. Um, <clears throat> and so at the time that she was on hospice and dying, um, we were in training, and Carol Wilson, who was one of the teachers, IMS and one of the teachers of our training went to visit Sarah one afternoon and during our lunch break or something and came back and at the time of our next session sort of reported back to us and to the teachers, other teachers that were there, how Sarah was doing. And I just remember being so struck by um, Carol's happiness as she reported that Sarah looked more radiant than ever. And this was, I think, just very, maybe days or months before she died. And uh, she said something like, Sarah said something like to Carol, I've never been happier in my life. And when she reported this back, you know, nobody seemed surprised of the people who knew Sarah. Nobody seemed surprised to hear that. And it was just like, oh, you know, how can that be? The body must be in terrible pain, and yet she's happier than she's ever been. And it's just such an inspirational 
story for me, a life, not even a story like a reality, that walking among us are people, ourselves included, who really are able to taste freedom, and freedom when it really matters. And we all have our own stories, our own examples of being able to do this in moments. And like I have a cold right now, I've been sick for a number of days, and I've just been noticing how not every moment is it a burden. Some moments the body doesn't, like if I really connect, it's not pleasant, but it's also not really a burden. In fact, there's been moments of joy and contentedness, happiness. I've had a range of feelings and experiences, no matter what the energy level was like, no matter the tightening of the chest, the burning sensation that's there pretty consistently, it's like tickle in the throat, the ears that aren't really functioning as well as they normally do. And yet there's just some acceptance of that, not pushing it away, not trying to force the body to be any different than it is. And to remember that in moments like this for me, and you have had those moments yourself, like, oh, this is something important to remember. This very simple moment of freedom, the body's just doing what the body does, and yet the heart is not entangled around it. Tastes, little tastes that we want to remember because they give us a sense of how good it can be. And on our deathbed, what would be better than to be the body to be doing what the body's doing and the heart to be exuberant or happy being able to smile and enjoy some company, being able to connect. So noticing the value of looking, the value of connecting, the value of doing this exploration using one of the maps like the five aggregates to really see what the Buddha meant by freedom. And this is, you know, big deal. (laughs) It's big deal practice. It's beyond stress reduction or (laughs) trying to find a way to, yeah, be less reactive in our life. So those things are important. And this really points, this practice, this map in particular, really points us in the direction of a deep freedom, a taste of something important. So the Buddha used this map, you know, he was a, he had a very analytical mind. So use this map of the five aggregates to really point to what this is like for us as human beings, or really what, what is this, this thing we call a human body, a human, a human being, um, a suffering human being, 
And in fact, what I call Shelley, what you call you, what we call people, each other, community. So it's a way to kind of summarize this human condition. And one of the reasons why I like this particular map is because there are five parts or five different groups. And four of those are mind. One of those groups is body or form. So really, to me, points to the importance and the influence of this heart-mind on our lives. So these five aggregates, or the Pali word is kanda, and that is just a, a word that means group, a group or a heap of things. So these five things are, I'm going to go through them a little bit more in detail later, but in a minute, not too much later. <laughs> form or body, body or form, which is really what we take in, you know, who this expression and what we take in through all of the sense gates. So the ears and what the ears hear, the object. Okay, so this is form. And then the second of the aggregates is feeling or um, feeling tone, Vedana is the Pali word. And that's just that it's, it's whether something, it's whether we perceive something as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Yeah, it's that kind of like when you have, smell something and you like it and your, you, your face may even show it and you go, ooh, right? That's the feeling tone. Or if you don't like any, eh, right? It's like that, the ooh or the eh. <laughs> or what was that? I didn't even smell it, right? Because we checked out. It wasn't either pleasant or unpleasant to us. And then we have perception. And this is just just the way the, it's interesting that I said just, because this is a sophisticated map, like I said, and it's really complex. So this is a very crude <laughs> overview. We have perception. And this is the, way, the mind's way of making sense of the world. Right? So knowing what a thing is. So knowing a shoe is a shoe, a door is a door. A hand is a hand. Knowing each other, like being able to recognize each other, that's Judy, that's Gabe, that's Laura. And this is perception at work. And then the fourth would be mental formations. And these are all of the mental phenomena. So thoughts, images, opinions, ideas, all of this. In this mental formations category, these are the expressions of our intentions, too. <clears throat> and then the fifth of the aggregates, the fifth of the five, consciousness. And just simply, we could think of consciousness as awareness. It's really uh, um, like awake or not awake. So consciousness is just this, you know, before the other aggregates kind of kick in, it's that basic here, aware, awake, that kind of thing. 
So the <clears throat> these five aggregates um, is really the Buddha's way of demonstrating that there's no use in clinging to a thing, like this thing I call self, when a thing is not really a thing but components. So by breaking this self up into five different groups, it's hard to actually believe that there's a self there. And yet, as human beings, when these, when we miss, when we miss it, when we miss noticing the components, which we are doing all of the time, then we naturally think there's a self here. And when we think there's a self here, it's going to be painful for us because we're really going to suffer, right? We're basically misinterpreting our reality. And so it can seem sometimes that breaking things up this way can be a means for disconnecting. Like somehow our life is less meaningful if I'm not a person who can feel and experience it. But that's not at all what's true. It's not at all true that if I'm not a Shelley, then life is not rich. That has not been my experience, and it's definitely not what the Buddha was teaching. Because we have hearts that feel and care about all of it, and especially about how often and easy it is to suffer. And as human beings who are comprised of these constituents, these aggregates, there will be suffering because we are naturally going to cling to them. And we are naturally going to misinterpret this human existence for something that is really, really personal. It's going to feel personal. That's going to hurt. So even when, so we can have a lot of care and reverence for that reality and not take this as an opportunity to, you know, be like nothing matters. It's not, that's not true. Everything matters. And when we suffer, when we are hurting or in pain, the only thing that we can do, the only appropriate response is a heart that cares about that. So a heart that cares about this difficulty, this difficulty of being a human being. It's, it's not easy, right? And especially when we do what we do and take things and feel like uh, life is really ours. It's really personal. We really want to have some control. We really want to have some say. And then we don't, or we don't have that kind of say or that kind of control. And it's hard. I mean, very simply, like, we don't have control over our bodies, do we? We think we do. And we can take care of them, and we can do some things to impact the health of our body and the strength of our body. But at the end of the day, the body has has a life of its own. The organs, the intricacies of the systems are all working on their own realities, right? They're using the nutrients the way that they can. We don't really know what that's like. 
they're fighting off infection, and the bodies are just, they have a life of their own. <laughs> and so we don't know. We really don't know. We don't ever really know when we're going to get sick or when we're going to stay well, right? When our systems are going to be resilient and healthy. We don't really know how the bodies are going to age. And yet we, we have these expectations for the body that we're going to stay strong for a long time, that we're going to ha- have this kind of energy, this kind of resiliency, this kind of um, strength tomorrow or next year or the next year. Right? Isn't this how it goes for us? I mean, do we think that tomorrow is going to be radically different than today in terms of how our body functions? No, not usually. We have this assumption that we're going to wake up tomorrow and things are going to be relatively the same. But we don't really know that. And in fact, our bodies are always in a constant state of change. I mean, how could they not? We take in every breath is different. We're breathing in this air that's so mixed, right? Some good and some not good stuff. And we're interacting and moving them and touching things and our bodies are shifting with the external environment all the time. How would it be exactly the same from moment to moment? Our sleep cycles are different. The food we take in is different. We don't always take in all the best food, and we expect our bodies to work with that. <laughs> don't mind those chips that I ate this afternoon, or that cupcake that I followed, cupcake that I followed the chips up with do what I want you to do, and do it the same today as tomorrow. So the Buddha talked about the five aggregates as the five aggregates of clinging. And this this points to both the experience and the process. So the experience, the way we experience each of these um, phenomena, the way we experience thought, and the way thought, the way mental formations impact our relative ease or stress. And the irony is that... Pulling apart this this human experience, the self into its components, can actually be quite unifying. It can seem like we're you know taking something apart, but that process of taking something apart and looking at the components can actually um, be unifying because, and my at least in my experience, when I start to explore this territory. It's really hard to see other human beings as despicable, as despicable creatures. Because I see the way I cling to, I identify, and appropriate my own experience. I see the way that I am my body, I am Shelley, I am this personality with this, these personality habits, and I expect those to be fixed 
I expect to know who I am and that to be consistent from moment to moment, from year to year. And the way I claim things are appropriate, appropriate experiences in my life. This is my car. This is my house. This is my job. This is my partner. These are my friends. This is my family. Right? This is all mine. So I am and I, and this is mine. So these ways in which I suffer, when I start to pull that apart and see like, oh my goodness, look at all of this. Like how I have this perception that this my friend is, I have this perception of my friend that they are uh, out to get me or something, trying to do me wrong, right? The thoughts in my head, I'm attaching and clinging to those and taking them so personally, and I presume that I know, right, what this other person is doing to me, and that really hurts. Like, everybody has that experience. Not just me, not just you, but every human being has the same really painful experience. Every human being has a body, and in moments, the body feels unbearable. I was talking to my friend Jean Haley earlier today, another teacher here at Common Ground, and about body dukkha and uh, how difficult it is, even with deep practice in moments, to, to really, like the word endure just came to mind, endure the pain of the body, to really fully be there in a spacious way with the body. Now, I just said that in moments, it's definitely possible. And I've had those moments too, and in some moments, it feels really impossible. Like, you've probably had knee pain or back pain or some kind of body pain while you've been sitting. And although the knee pain is there in one moment and maybe there in the next, at some point it feels like if I don't move my knee or if I don't scratch this itch, or if I don't adjust, I might just die. (laughs) Have you had that experience? Yeah, right? It's that, that clinging to this body and this, this unpleasant, not liking this unpleasant experience. It's such a painful thing. And this is something that happens with every human being on the planet. So when I say that it's unifying, It's because it's easy, it feels easy when I start to see these things, when we can start to see these things, that it's easy to feel a little compassionate, like a little sympathy, like, oh my goodness, it is so hard to be you. I know that because it is so hard to be me. And because it's hard to be you and it's hard to be me, it's hard to be everybody. I mean, everybody is hard to be you, right? Even politicians that we don't like, or other people in our workplaces that we don't particularly, that their personalities are unpleasant, or their ways are unpleasant, or their ways cause harm. Those people too, like, wow, that misuse of power, you're clinging to power because you are scared, and that is a very painful feeling. I know what it's like to feel scared. 
all of these patterns in our lives, all of these patterns in our hearts that are there, all of these ways in which we cling to self-identify are just there. They're confused strategies to take care of ourselves. It's just this heart trying to be comfortable, trying to be safe, trying to find some ground and some refuge in a reality that is messy, confused, unsafe, uncomfortable, a world that's uncomfortable, unsafe, a lot of the time, all of the time, a lived existence that is always uncertain. And it's hard, it's hard for this heart, this mind to really grok that. And so we create all of these habits in order to find some ground, some way to keep going, right? Some way to feel safe enough to keep going. And so we really don't want to demonize any of our habits. Like, oh, I'm not, I'm not practicing well enough. I'm still clinging to body. Or I'm not practicing well enough. I'm still reactive and taking things personally, even though I know they're just thoughts. It's not like that. All of these ways are there just as a way of protecting ourselves, all of these habits. So we can have a lot of compassion, like, oh, sweetie, of course you're anxious again. <laughs> this is really, you know, you don't know what's going to, you might be annihilated. <laughs> of course. Why wouldn't it be that way? <clears throat> so a lot of the right move is always a lot of reverence, a lot of compassion, a lot of care. And it's good news when we see these habits, right? because we can start to retrain the mind. We can start, start to see the suffering, feel into that dukkha, that experience of pain, care about it, and, not, and learn by that process of befriending that difficulty that it's just a force of nature just like everything else. These patterns have arisen lawfully out of this constitution's sincere desire to be safe, to be comfortable, to find some ground. They're actually, these patterns are just a force of nature like everything else, a result of causes and conditions. This pattern of attachment or clinging is also not self. And these five aggregates, body, feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness are always happening, and they're they're always changing. They're in a constant state of change. They're always happening and in a constant state of change, but we don't notice them, and so we have this perception of, continuity, 
So we don't notice them individually. We don't notice often perception arise. Or we, don't not- we often don't notice feeling arise. And so the only logical conclusion is that this is a con- that they are rising continuously, that there's some continuity there. They're all something, and that something is a self, is a Shelley, right? Because we don't see the components, we can only draw one conclusion, that this is me. We don't see perception, but we see Shelley. <laughs> Easy. The Buddha gave an example of a, talked about a chariot as a way to describe the aggregates and their part in creating a sense of self. And just like a chariot is made up of a bunch of different parts and different parts, right? A chariot is... I guess I don't need a better word. <laughs> a chariot is just a concept, right? When you take the wheel off or the different named part off, <laughs> those things are just those things, and there's no chariot to be found. A chariot is just a concept in the mind, right? right? And the same way when you take the aggregates and notice them, each of them, there's no self to be found, right? We're just this combination of processes. We're just this flow of processes, this flow of processes of perceiving and feeling and um, scheming and planning and rejecting. So as long as we continue to hold the belief in the self, we will continue to grasp at these aggregates as being ours and our, our, our identity will be limited as a result. I want to read you the words of the Buddha. It's just as when a dog is tied by a leash to a post or stake. If it walks, it walks right around that post or stake. If it stands, it stands right next to that post or stake. If it sits, it sits right next to that post or stake. If it lies down, it lies down right next to that post or stake. In the same way, an uninstructed run-of-the-mill person regards form as, this is mine, this is myself, this is what I am. They regard feeling, perception, mental fabrications, consciousness as, this is mine, this is myself, this is what I am. If they walk, they walk right around these five aggregates. If they stand, they stand right next to these five clinging aggregates. If they sit, they sit right next to these five clinging aggregates. If they lie down, they lie down right next to these five clinging aggregates. Thus, one should reflect on one's mind with every moment. For a long time has this mind been defiled by passion, 
aversion and delusion, right? Greed, hatred, and delusion. From the defilement of the mind are beings defiled. From the purification of the mind are, are beings purified. It's just as when there being dye, a dyer or painter would paint a picture of a person complete in all its parts on a well-polished panel or wall or on a piece of cloth. In the same way, an uninstructed run-of-the-mill person, us, when creating, creates nothing but form, feeling, perception, mental fabrications, and consciousness. Now what do you think, monks? Is form constant or is inconstant? Inconstant, Lord. And is that which is inconstant easeful or stressful? Stressful, Lord. And is it fitting to regard what is inconstant, stressful, subject to change as, this is mine, this is myself, this is what I am? No, Lord. Is feeling constant or inconstant? Inconstant, Lord. Is perception constant or inconstant? Inconstant, Lord. Are fabrications constant or inconstant? Inconstant, Lord. What do you think, monks? Is consciousness constant or inconstant? Inconstant, Lord. And is that which is inconstant easeful or stressful? Stressful, Lord. And is it fitting to regard what is inconstant, stressful, subject to change as, this is mine, this is myself, this is what I am? No, Lord. Thus, monks, any form whatsoever that is past, future, or present, internal or external, blatant or subtle, common or sublime, far or near, every form is to be seen as it actually is with right discernment or right view. This is not mine. This is not myself. This is not what I am. Seeing thus the well-instructed discipline the well-instructed disciple of the noble ones grows disenchanted with form, disenchanted with feeling, disenchanted with perception, disenchanted with mental fabrications, disenchanted with consciousness. Disenchanted, disenchanted, they become dispassionate. Through dispassion, they are fully released. With full release, there is the knowledge fully released. They discern that birth is ended, the holy life fulfilled, the task done. There is nothing further for this world. It's like everything. <laughs> yeah, it's not, you know, this is why I said it's beyond stress reduction. It's beyond a little bit of support to ease our lives. This is about liberation. Right, full awakening, this understanding of the aggregates. And one of the things the Buddha was pointing to again and again is the constant change, right, and permanent nature. Is perception constant or inconstant? Right? Is that stressful or easeful? It's stressful. Change is stressful. Right? So this heart concocts all kinds of ways to mitigate that stress. And so what we're doing is retraining in a 
way of living into our lives that is more useful long-term. It will bring greater satisfaction. Sure, it might feel good to get angry and let someone have it. It might feel like a release or like they deserved it. And you might be able to live with the outcome of that or the impact of that argument or whatever. But the impact of that on the heart long-term, right? The impact of that indulgence, the impact of not practicing with all of the flavors of hatred, of anger that arise in the mind, have an impact on the body and express themselves without our mindful awareness, mitigating it, like that impact, that has a karmic impact on our lives forever. So what do we want to choose? We want to choose the short-term whatever, the short-term gratification, happiness, or or are we going to invest in something that is going to go the distance for us, that is really going to support our lives and each other's lives in in a strong and impactful way. So next week, I'll go into a little more detail, a lot more detail of each one. But this week, I just wanted to kind of frame a big picture and uh, set them in some context for us. So we have a little bit of time for a discussion. If there are any comments or questions, or I'm really curious about what inspires you when you... When you contemplate the aggregates, where you, when you hear the Dhamma in this way, what do you feel inspired about? And why do you want to take up the practice? Why did you come to this class? <laughs> As opposed to a stress reduction class, which is good too. And I teach that class. <laughs> I know it's good. <clears throat> Thanks, thanks, Shelley. I'm I'm Colleen, um, and maybe this is more of a, a statement to ask you to comment on. Um, you ask why did I come to this class tonight? It's it seems to be pretty relevant for me lately, and I'm grateful for the topic. I've been noticing lately um, the separation between my life circumstance and my clinging, and I've been noticing that the. the cl- clinging, you know, the, the, the strong desire for how I want things to be that I can't control. Um, that's where my suffering is lately. 
the life circumstances are not fun. I'm not having a good time. But they're really not about me. I'm living my life, but um, I can't control the circumstances these days. But I'm noticing that um, the suffering, I sometimes I have a little bit of a choice about it. And dropping, dropping that clinging really does make it feel better. So I'd love to hear your comments on that. Yeah, when the heart learns to let go, it really does feel better. And so the, the process of tasting that letting go, that freedom, is really moves us right through the pain of the moment, right? So that's the path, is to get close to the experience of clinging, to get close to that suffering, the experience of dukkha in all the ways, and really let the heart, let it touch the heart. Because once the heart can taste that difficulty, it doesn't want to keep doing that thing, right? It really, there's wisdom will be there. And uh, that letting go process will happen naturally. It's not even something that we have to make happen. And this I've seen play out in so many ways in my life. That if I can really just let in the pain of the moment and not be afraid to get close to it, let the heart kind of break, then the heart, like there's something really, some wisdom will arise in that that has some... uh, teaching for me. Like, what What do I do with this? Like, oh, yeah. Let go. Let go. Let go. No sense in acting on that. No sense in reacting to that pain. Actually, no sense in trying to run from it, because you know, the, we don't have any we don't have the control that we think we do. And it's always been that way. And it will always be that way. But in moments, when we wake up to that reality, it kind of hits us like hard, right? It rocks our world because we've been living under this assumption that it's not like that. And so we want to have a lot of reverence for that, like, oh, well, this is what it's like to be a human being, right, who wants to control things or things that we, I have control, and now I realize I don't, and that's really scary. And it kind of jolts the nervous system, it jolts the whole constitution. We may not have equilibrium for a moment until we kind of get our feet under us and accept that. I had some health challenges about a year ago. I've talked about it many times and while teaching. And it was really, I mean, I have so much gratitude for that period now, but it was really difficult because this mind, this heart was grokking uncertainty in a new way and not quite what to do with that. Like, okay, it's like you might die. I didn't think I was going to die in that moment, but the reality of like having a body that gets sick for whatever reason, with the sensitivity of the heart the way that it is, the way that it was, the way that it will be for each of us in moments, like the heart starts to learn that. And there's no sense in running from that, right? When in the, in the midst of that difficulty, of that resistance, like there was something, there was some deep wisdom 
that understood there's no sense in doing this. Like, this isn't going to be the way to lasting happiness. This is not going to lead me to freedom to keep fighting. But there was fighting, and so there was nothing to do except to throw my arms around that fight. Like, of course you're fighting this, sweetie. Of course you're fighting this. Why wouldn't you? It's really hard to take in the reality of our own mortality. It would be hard for anybody. Good evening. Uh, My name is Tim. And what keeps me coming to the Buddhist practice is I've always had a sense of anything being possible. And that kind of makes it hard to communicate with people if they don't believe that for whatever reason. And I thought, why is this getting in the way? But the more I practice with things like five aggregates, it seems kind of analytical on the surface level. If I apply it in a sincere way, it kind of, when I, when I study it like that, it kind of releases, when I release the sense of the concept of the self, it releases a lot of extra mental energy and it, um, it allows me to, um, have, I think a lot of, a lot of people, including me, I don't know if other people feel this way, but you feel like you're kind of special in some way, or you have something really special to give. And normally it's tied up in your ego, but once it's not tied up in the ego, then you can give it something special, uh, in a more, um, like, uh, realistic way. And, and, uh, I think in, it unlocks de- devotion for me. So I don't understand what fully non-clinging is, but um, that's where I'm at. Thank you. Yeah, I've been uh, doing a little more <laughs> formal practice lately than I've done in a long time. And... I have a desirous, I like, I, I like that word rather than greedy personality type, but I'm pretty classic greedy personality type, like I want things that I do not want, you know, like your desserts and your socks and whatever it might be. And, <laughs> and I've just been having um, just a potent experience of craving lately. <laughs> And it's been really interesting because I've been doing more formal practice, and so although I've been having this incredible experience of craving, some of which I have been fulfilling with various chocolate treats and things, (laughs) and other times I haven't, but what I've really noticed about the gift of more formal practice for me is I've gotten really curious and interested in this process And so I'm kind of hanging out with craving. And craving and I are just kind of getting to know each other better in a different way. And and it's been kind of playful, too. And it hasn't always been pleasant. I mean, it's because it has been really intense at times. Like, oh, I just need to do whatever. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And so... um, so I'm just really grateful for um, 
my willingness to do more formal practice because that hasn't been my style when I'm not on retreat. And just, wow, yeah, that really helps a lot. Can I ask you a question? What are you, are you learning anything new about craving? I'm learning um, more friendliness towards myself and uh, these inclinations of the mind. And and yes, a lot more about, because the no-self term has just driven me crazy for many years. Um, But I'm just so getting it. I'm so getting it, because it just shows up, and it's just like, oh, where did that come from? Oh, it left. Oh, isn't that interesting? I really just kind of hung out with the show. So I'm... I'm learning more about uh, about hanging out with the show. Yeah. I like it. Thank you. If you're like Spruce and don't like the no, not-self words, <laughs> you can replace them with nature. Right? Nature, I use that a lot. That just makes a lot of sense. And I often when I'm thinking about nature in actual nature... Um, I, I learned that I don't resist the change in nature, right? I'm not taking it so personally, like the change of the seasons. I was just feeling like this, like, oh, yeah, it's winter. You know, it's, it's a little unpleasant when it's cold, but I'm not obsessing about, you know, that this is a personal attack on me or something. <laughs> not clinging to it. Yeah, my body is totally different, but nature none the same. My heart is different. Like, I'm frustrated with my heart for doing the same things that my heart does. And yet, it's nature. Mm. Changes, flows through seasons. Thank you. That is so helpful. I'm dropping no self. (laughs) (laughs) Time for maybe one more, if there's another comment. Hi, I'm Adam. Uh, I just thought it think it's really um, intriguing when you know the, with the five aggregates, the five aggregates of clinging are when someone says that that everything that like I think I am that that's what it is, and so yeah, it's it's um, as Mark says, really kind of provocative. Um, so it's definitely worth checking out, and I've been finding in like in my practice, you know, where there's been. You know, more and more like kind of resistance that where used to be some place that I was getting stuck that that that's where I'm going to um, and I have a map and vocabulary and different tools to be able to unpack that and and work with it is um, really something to continue to use and look forward to and especially after the the last um, Buddhist studies segment on dukkha um, and having a different relationship with that, I, <laughs> I guess I'll just tell a quick story on how some of that has changed a little bit. But I, I know a lot of people probably use the insight timer, and um, there was I was just looking for a random, uh, like guided meditation at one one day, and just typed in dukkha and. There's surprisingly not many guided meditations on dukkha on the insight meditation timer. 
Um, but one of the things I was like, okay, this says Duca, and I clicked on it, and it was an actual person who had a profile. This is like kind of like meta social media, but he, uh, the there was a profile of someone who made that said Duca. So it said uh, Duca, add friend, and and I was like, oh, huh, I could make Duca my friend, and so anytime. <laughs> comes up it could be like an old friend showing up and so that was kind of like huh i guess that is kind of possible so so it's nice to have like looking forward to this to having some vocabulary and some way to to meet up with my old friend <laughs> yeah and it's funny but you know like the way to experiencing freedom the way to Experiencing freedom is right through dukkha, right? Mm -hmm. Learning how to befriend dukkha. Mm -hmm. That's the way to freedom. That intimacy with dukkha, the heart learns to let go on its own, right? Just like the way to understanding nature is by noticing all those moments where we're taking it personally. That's it. That's the path. So we don't have to trans. We don't have to jump over, or transcend, or right. Um, bypass where we are. We just have to be right here, like, oh, look at this. Human being taking this personally. And it hurts. Right? Really letting that in. Like, oh, it hurts, and it hurts like this. And then see what happens. The heart will learn on its, the heart will learn. Right? With our awareness practice, wisdom will naturally follow. Okay, it's time to leave it here. Thanks for your engagement and your questions and comments. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.